If you go to a concert, if the level is the playing level is high, it will give you so much information. Sometimes you will hit a golden concert that you will realize you are witness something so spectacular you will never forget. That's internationally acclaimed Taiwanese-American pianist Wu Han joining us today to talk about her upcoming performance next weekend with members of Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center here in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to a new episode of Heart of the Arts. Thanks for coming on our podcast today. I can't wait to get to Phoenix. It's so cold here in New York. So yeah, I know. There's been <laughs> lots of uh, unexpected snowstorms on the East Coast. I don't know if it hit New York, but I know it was hitting Maine. I'm looking at beautiful snowflakes outside. But so when I get to Phoenix, I'm just going to be just so happy to enjoy the sunshine. Oh yes, you're coming at the perfect time. It's going to be just 75 and sunny when you get here. So I'm from the Midwest, and I know people call this Phoenix weather just kind of like this boring weather, and I'm like, no, it's it's perfect <laughs> weather to me. So <laughs> I'm glad that it's snowing, so you can enjoy it that much more. Lovely.、Mm-hmm. So you're an advocate for chamber music,、um, for new music and young musicians. We've most recently actually played the Beethoven by Manner and Variations with you and David Finkel last Monday, actually. So it's it's um it's going to be nice to、uh, broadcast your voice to our listeners who are already familiar with your works. Since for us here in Phoenix, it's kind of been Beethoven and some other romantics like Brahms. What was your first experience with classical music? Were you a child? Was it Mozart or Beethoven sonatas? And then, who were some of your biggest or most important influences? Well, I started as a youngster because my father, my mother, sent my father to buy a suit to go to a cousin's wedding, and back then. In Taiwan, where I grew up, the only place you can get an American suit is go to the GI's flea market. So my father got the money. My mother saved up all the money. This is really important for my mom. And he came home instead of a suit. Ah,、uh, he came home with a pile of LP and a turntable. Oh, <laughs> no、and、suit! My mom was furious, <laughs> and my dad was in seven heaven. Oh, <laughs> and play. <laughs> He played these LPs to death,、mm. and he fell in love. Of course, like all men, he loved gadgets. So the LP and and the turntable at that point was really cool for him.、Mm-hmm. In that pile of LP, I remember Mozart violin sonatas.、Mm-hmm. I remember Beethoven piano sonatas. I remember the Archduke trios. I remember the Shahar Razan of、uh, Rimsky Korsakov, and there are quite a bit of、um, Mozart concertos and as well as Beethoven concertos,、um, including the Beethoven piano concertos, Emperor. And I just remember my father played them day in and day out, and he loved it so much. And you can't help it if you have somebody love music, and especially as your parent. I love music so much and get so excited about what they hear. I was complete sort of following his footstep and running around in Taipei and trying to look for LP to play with my father together.、Mm-hmm. And and、uh, so I would say I really started out in classical music from listening to these LPs and then fell madly in love with all the classics. 
you know, Beethoven, Mozart. I didn't encounter Schubert until I was in teenage years. So those were sort of my classical music diet. And of course, as a youngster or as any classical music lover, when you encounter Chopin, when you encounter Rachmaninoff, the romantic, juicy stuff, that is just seven heaven, especially for, especially for a teenage kid. Um, so I, I listened to a lot of recordings when I was a kid and I tried to go to all the concerts. Um, we had to walk about 40 minutes. We didn't even have money for buses. So my father will buy me ice cream if I can walk with him to go to concerts, which I did a lot when I was very young. Mm, wow. And I, I never forget those experiences because when you go to a concert, especially for, you have to imagine this Taiwanese kid that had never been exposed to anything and watching the most incredible a musician walk on stage and they could make magic on that stage. And it uh, the music just take you to another world. And I remember I would be going to those concerts and say, I want to be a musician. I want to do that because mm -hmm. it's so magical. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I became a classical musician. And so your uh, parents must have been really supportive with you deciding to take that path, right? Well, my parents was, I was a very difficult child. I was very high strung, very smart, very street smart. Mm. Um, I was very bored at school. So when my parents saw my passion and saw, actually my father was the one suggested for us, for me to start piano. And I learned two little pieces and my mother was desperate because we have no money. So my mother saw a newspaper. Um, actually, the first is my mother uh, saw the newspaper. There was a piano a student that we were right next to university is looking for students. So my mother called my first piano teacher up, offer him a dinner every night to barter for my piano lesson. Oh. And so that last way for about a month so and um, it was very casual and I learned two little pieces and my mother said this is just really not really sustainable and she found another notice um, for gifted and talented program and uh, there were recruitment uh, for youngsters um, and full scholarship so my mother sent oh. me to audition for it not aware of what gift and talent in music world means so I went into the audition, played my two little pieces with such gusto, I fooled them all, and I got into the program. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a cool... It was emergency that they realized I don't I don't even read music. So that was funny. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> you didn't read music at first. Yeah, I read a little bit, but this absolutely definitely not in the gifted and uh, gifted and talented program level. So there wow. was a lot of emergency training and I was already nine years old as well. So that was also um in, in the way it was a blessing because when I started I had to catch up with all my friends, mm -hmm. uh, young musicians around me. Yeah. And so they assigned us uh, music teachers, actually. They assigned two wonderful nuns. A uh, school is, uh, is run by the Belgian missionaries. Mm -hmm. So I have two adults practice with me every day and to try to push me, build up my technique. And 
in that way, actually, I did not practice myself in the beginning, which saved tremendous amount of time because I was never allowed to to go wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so that was really great. And so they built up my technique, scale, arpeggios, etudes, bark, um, a fugues, and um, two parts, three parts inventions. And they just for two full years. That's all I did. I didn't play any music, and I hated every bit of it. And now, <laughs> yeah. now, now I'm so grateful to them. Because mm-hmm. to this day, I know my scale and arpeggio never leaves me. And uh, even I don't practice scale arpeggio anymore. Most of the musicians do that, but I hate it so much I don't do it. <laughs> but it's always there just from the very, very solid two years of really, really intense, um, extensive training just mm. for technique. Wow. So then when I was 11, I started to win competitions and wow. I started to to uh, perform on um, it was also you know it's an interesting uh, 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 theory that if you if for a kid if you're desperate you really will put all your energy you need to focus if I don't win competition if I don't catch up I will lose my scholarship and that's going to be really hard for my parents so I had no choice except just work <laughs> yeah yeah that sounds like you fit right in you know, you, um, you've you been performing and working with so many ensembles, and I assume you do a lot of master classes as well. So what are some of the most important nuggets of wisdom or information that you give to students? Or how do you feel like you are inspiring the younger generations? That's a big question. Um, <laughs> if we have an hour, I would tell you all. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think for, for master classes you really have to be pretty strategic. Every mus- young musician's needs are a little different. Yeah. Uh, but I was so in, in master classes, I usually cater on all my advice, uh, technically, especially musically for specific players. But in general, I think the next generation of young musicians, um, they have really incredible technique. Um, it's like athletes that we are all practice and uh, but what makes one young musician uh, better than the other is their deep love and passion to the music. And I will always encourage all my young musicians to go to a lot of concerts, um, to listen to the best playing. Don't look for things on YouTube. Some of them is, is such a huge range of quality. Yeah. Go to Go to the best, best recording you could find. Go to the best concerts you can find. So you can get into, a, um, you, you will receive music in the highest level. Um, if you go to a concert, if the level is, the playing level is high, it, it will give you so much information and it will give you so much enjoyment. And sometimes you will hit a golden concert some spot is so fantastic that you will realize you um, witness something so spectacular you will never forget. But you need to allow yourself to be open up and to keep trying different concerts until you hit those moments. And I can tell you, even just uh, even as a professional musician, once in a while I'll, I will hit those concerts, those moments, 
a, a, a kind of a community experience with people right in the room. You just feel the air stopped. You feel you see heaven. You, you just know it's something so extraordinary happened in front of you. And that's that make life worth living. That make mm -hmm. music worth working for. Um, mm -hmm. That's where I often get my inspiration from. I go to, I still go to a lot of concerts. Uh, on my day off, I'm always playing music, always playing, uh, going to concerts. Um, you as a as musician, I think that's part of your development, part of your education, and it's super important for even just as a general music lover. I think we should all go to live concert a lot more often. Yes, agreed. And you talking about kind of those big angelic moments when the trumpets sound, is that kind of, um, you know, especially when you're teaching, you know, you've had a long career in, in classical mm -hmm. music, which can be tough to break into any type of career in music or the arts, but how do you define um, success, especially when inspiring other musicians? Well, there's so many different ways to describe success. I think, especially in music, um, there's so many different careers you could mount and surround yourself with the arts and with music, not necessarily by playing. If you mm -hmm. want to be a player, if you want to have a concert career, there's no avoidance of hard work. Yeah. There's just, you have to practice. There's no other way around it. You can be incredibly talented, but if you don't put in the work, you won't succeed. It's as simple as that. Of course, some people are more lucky than the others if they have more talent, if they have more charisma, which that's hard to teach. Mm -hmm. So that's one way. But if you love music and you don't feel that you want that kind of crazy traveling life, every day is in a different hotel, there's so many ways you can contribute. You can be a good administrator. You can be a radio host. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, definitely. Uh, you can be a composer. You can work in the development department to help raise money to support the arts. You can do production. So you always surround yourself with the artist. Uh, you can do artistic planning, which will require you to have lots and lots of knowledge. Um, it's just so many ways you could, you can be a great teacher. That's another great way to immerse yourself in music. So I, all of the things I mentioned, I all consider that is a success, especially if one loves what they're doing, love yes. their job, love their profession. And that's, then that's a big success story. Not necessarily you have to play you know, a hundred concerts like I do every year, which is actually a really grueling life. Um, but you have so many ways to 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 be a to be a contributor for culture. Uh, so that's important. Yes, and uh, you've contributed to um, a lot of different chamber ensembles, and you've been with the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center since 2004. How has your involvement with this society been since um, for almost 20 years, and how has it evolved? Did you ever picture yourself winding up being um, in this sort of ensemble doing this kind of work? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> it was an unexpected invitation, mm. and the, my first artistic director job actually 
was in Southern California. It was an unexpected invitation to become an artistic director. And mm -hmm. I have to learn it on the job. Um, but it's interesting because it forced me to think as a musician, I found being to do artistic directions and to be artistic administrators is a different type of contribution than I walk on stage, play a concert, um, which is incredibly satisfying to play a concert. Uh, you hit between you know 300 people to 2,000 people when you play concerts night after night. But to lead an institution such as Lincoln Center Chamber Music Society, it's a great privilege and honor because then you can design program. You can put together musicians like Arrange Marriage. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can really set directions and help the organization and institution advance. You can reach out to more audience as Chamber Music Society's case. We have digital programs, we have education program, we have family program. You can really make an impact in the community. So that's a different type of contribution and satisfaction in my life. Um, you can mount touring program like this one for us to come to Phoenix mm -hmm. and to bring our music to different communities and to explain our music to the audience and so there's there's um Chamber Society does a lot. It, uh, the society itself is the largest uh, chamber music producer and presenter in the world. We do mm -hmm. more than probably like do a couple hundred events a year. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's and we have a fifty two weeks of radio program. We are on the all arts. Yes. With our productions, we had the largest chamber music library. Oh, wow. In audio and video. Um, our radio program reached millions of people. Um, we have a very robust uh, young artists program that we grew next generations of the great musicians mm -hmm. uh, to get them involved in chamber music. Um, so we have residency, a partnership everywhere. Um, December, I'm going to China to Hong Kong. Um, we have residency in South America. We have residency all over the United States. We have our own concert series in Chicago, in Grand Rapids, in Drew University, in Purchase, in Shaker Village, in Saratoga Spring. It goes on. <laughs> wow. It's a, it's, a, it's a really incredible privilege. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. The, the most satisfying thing is you design a program you find the artist that you think would really execute the program well, and then it's and then you take a chance, you get on stage and you say, ah, that's exactly how I imagined it. Mm -hmm. And then you see people, you know, standing up and cheering and say, wow, that was fun. Yeah, <laughs> yes. You're performing in Phoenix next Friday with members of CMS, a program that's titled Delight and Drama, with music by Orensky and Johannes Brahms. Can you explain the genesis of this program, Delight and Drama? Uh, yes. Um, there is, this is a program, Just Position, Just Position, two incredible composers from two 
very different uh, culture. Uh, Arensky uh, is a very important Russian composer, and he has contributed a tremendous amount in chamber music genre, especially. Uh, he was Tchaikovsky and Rimsky-Korsakov student. Mm. Uh, he then became a teacher. He taught a lot of important Russian composers, uh, Skriabin, Rachmaninoff. And so this is a very important Russian voice. The chamber music piece he wrote um, in this set of concert is exact the mirror image than the next composer, Johannes Brahms, from Hamburg, from Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Brahms is super organized. Mm -hmm. Every piece he wrote has to be perfect. Um, when Mendelssohn declared Brahms is the next Beethoven, he freaked out so much, he went home and burned off all the pieces, oh. all the music <laughs> that he considers imperfect. Mm. So every piece of Brahms is in the highest level of organization. Mm. So now in the first half, we will start out from a piano forehand piece, which is a very important genre in chamber music. Uh, the piano forehand piece from, from Arensky is children's songs. It's delightful. It's Russian. It's a little wacky. It has a cuckoo song, has a, <laughs> march, has a march and has a, as a love songs and so and then you will go to a very dramatic piano trio by Arensky, which is a D minor trio, and it's filled with a dramatic sound. Um, the piano is running all over the keyboards. The cello is has huge cello and violin has both huge. A dramatic sort of a Russian melodies. The piece was dedicated to Davidov, which is a very important Russian cellist. Mm. Now, the second half will come in, you have another set of Brahms piano forehand. And Brahms made himself famous by composing the Hungarian dances, which is the most popular forehand piece during his lifetime. He made so much money. Actually, his publisher, Simrock, made so much money out of the mm. Hungarian dances. So we will... Uh, you will hear the first set is uh, piano forehand in the Russian flavor. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to hear a German flavor, but it's with gypsy in it. And it's pretty sort of, it's still delightful, but much thicker sonic experience. And then we will go to the Brahms C major piano trio. Brahms were three trios, and this is the middle one. And this trio is sort of complete opposite of the Arensky trio is super organized, but dramatic nevertheless, but in the German way. Mm. <laughs> uh, the chords are thick. The the the, uh, the 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 grandeurs of the slow movement, uh, even if the slow movement is equally sad as the Arensky slow movement, but it's a German way. It's a little sort of much more. Um, how do you say it? much more butters and potatoes and mm. sausages. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> versus, the meat and potatoes. This is a Russian abortion, you know. So anyway, <laughs> it's very different. So if you come to the concert, you can experience the same genre, but from two different cu culture. And mm. each genre, the piano forehand is delightful and the piano trios are both dramatic. So it's a fun program to listen to. At least that's yeah. the way I imagined it. We're starting rehearsal uh, tomorrow. 
I could okay. I will have to come to Phoenix. By the time we come to Phoenix, we're already playing three or four concerts. I would tell you, I'll have much better sense how to manipulate this program to bring you the best results. Mm. Uh, so I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, it's always interesting, too, to know how much work you do separately and then how how tight you have to get everything in a short amount of time because, you know, everyone is traveling to meet each other and given just a couple days to rehearse together, you know? Yeah, usually we have four days of rehearsal. Mm, okay. Um, we actually already had an early rehearsal three weeks ago. Um, that's how much preparation we do uh, to get a program uh, on the market, on the stage. Uh, uh, three weeks ago, we already met once and already polished some of the stuff. And then we're going to now have another three very, very intense rehearsal days uh, to prepare our first concert this Saturday. And um, do you take time in between pieces or before and after to um, talk to the audience to bring them uh, a little bit closer into these chamber music performances? Yes, it really depends on the series and what the presenter required us to do. Some of the audience are used to hearing people explain things. So in this case, because the program design is interesting, I probably will talk. But sometimes we'll go to a concert series, the presenter will say, no, our audience are not used to be uh, used to any talking, please just play. And that's also fun. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> it really depends. Yeah, no, that's so cool. It sounds like such an amazing program. Um, I think our listeners are going to love your take on these composers and pieces. But what are you looking forward to most when it comes to visiting the desert again? Well, I've uh, been to Venice many, many times. Mm -hmm. I always had the fondest memory for a very passionate presenter there, uh, a very well-run series there, mm -hmm. um, and also a very knowledgeable um, audience. I remember the audience are very, very warm, and you have tons and tons of very uh, important uh, artists stop in. The Phoenix Chamber Music Society is the one I will play for this time. Yes. And I just have the best memory about them. Uh, the, the, the presenter, Janet Green, is so fantastic. She's incredibly knowledgeable, and she cares so deeply about chamber music and about her organization and her audience. So you guys mm -hmm. are in the best hands. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, I think also these days, um, especially after after the pandemic, I think the idea of going back to live concert, the idea that we now have another opportunity to gather to experience things, that mm -hmm. things are not contentious, things are mm -hmm. in generally very organized. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And 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 remind you what life is worth living for. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, and I see the audience coming back to concerts. And that's just so exciting. I, I found music is a common language to bring everybody together. Just give you an example. On stage this time, 
I'm from Taiwan. Yeah, the pianist Chen was a great pianist. Um, is from China. She was she grew up in Shanghai. She went to England, and she's a great pianist. She went to Manningham School. Now she lives in Texas.、Mm. Just moved to United States this year, actually. Oh wow! So you have two pianists that, on the surface, you look at two of us were just you think we're just Chinese, but we're very different. We come from very different cultural background, and I enjoy working with her so so much. Uh, it just really coming from、um, even we have we grew up we're all Chinese, but we're very um, um, we're from two different country actually. Our cellist Dmitri、uh, is a Russian cellist, but left Russia when he was very young. I think he was nine. He went、okay. to Spain because his parents escaped Russia to Spain. So and then he came to United States, went to Yale University, and did all of his uh, uh, university and grad. School here in United States, and now he is a teacher in Reno. He's artistic director in the concert series in Reno. He also artistic direct in the Kansas City for the Friends of Chamber Music there. So that's another incredible sort of a success story, but coming、mm. from a very diverse background.、Oh, there are、wow. a lot of violinists from Bulgaria. Okay, the violinist.、Yeah. You have a. Russian cello, Bulgarian violinist,、um, and two sort of a Taiwanese pianist and a Chinese pianist. You know, it's a very diverse group on stage, but we all really have the same goal. We just want to play music. We just want to have bring the best music to all the audience. So it's it's if I think of it in that way. I just found this international roster of musicians at,、um, together using music as a common language is the most beautiful thing,、um, yeah. and I'm very grateful we had this opportunity、uh, to come to Phoenix.、Um, I I'm really grateful for everybody that make arts happen in your community. Um, I think that's really important. It speaks volumes of what your committee is about, and so I would really encourage everybody to come and everybody support、uh, Friends of Chamber Music. It's just so important. Yes, it make it make the world a better place for for sure. It does, and I'm sure with all of these artists from all these different backgrounds coming together, and like you mentioned, kind of after a bit of a break, and everyone seems to be getting used to classical music and coming out with kind of this new wall of sound because nothing is holding them back anymore. So we're looking、yeah. forward to that. Yes, absolutely. You don't. You no longer feel playing music. It's the way you pay your bills. Playing music is actually for me now is sort of life and death situation.、Mm-hmm. It's just so important. Yes,、um, I'm much more grateful、uh, than ever、uh, to have these great opportunity and to have this great music in my life. 
That's Taiwanese-American pianist Wu Han, who will be performing in concert next Friday with members of Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center in collaboration with Phoenix Chamber Music Society. The concert is at Central United Methodist Church Friday the 24th at 7.30 p.m. For tickets and more info, head to chambermusicsociety.org. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.